2: You are listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. My name is Wayne. I'm a journalist and former Chinese international student. I'm recording from Gardigal country.
1: I'm Mark. I'm a fresh out of uni graduate and a young Chinese Australian. I'm recording from Wurundjeri
2: country. In each episode, we'll explore a theme that reflects the daily life of a young Chinese person living in today's Australia.
1: And in this episode, we'll be discussing the infamous widely asked question, where are you from, and the different meanings it can have for people. So, Wing, do you remember the last time you got asked where are you from?
2: It was from a Uber driver. He recognized my Cantonese accent and asked, where are you from? So I told him that I was from Macau, and then we had this conversation about where Macau was, what was the good food in Macau, and also the famous casinos. I quite enjoy being asked this question as a conversation starter. And I also love to talk about my own culture and where I'm from. How about you, Mark?
1: That's interesting. That doesn't sound like it was the worst experience. But to answer your question, I don't know if I actually remember the last time I was asked this question. Or in fact, like any time I've ever been asked that question. Well, that's quite unusual. Yeah. And when my friends complain about it, it's always a little bit funny. As much as I empathize with it, I can't quite relate. So I kind of just sit there and nod.
2: What would you say if someone asked you this?
1: I feel like it really depends on context. I guess the most generic response is that I'm from Melbourne. But if you're asking where I'm really from, I'd have to say, like, Shanghai, because that's where I was born. And even though I don't remember the place, because I came here when I was four, that's technically where I come from, right?
2: It's interesting how you answer the question first with where you felt you were from, but ended up offering a different answer for where you are really from.
1: And that's exactly what we're unpacking on this episode of Chinese-ish. Why do people ask where you're from, and what happens if you can't give them the answer they want? Why does context matter when it comes to asking where are you from? Where in fact do Chinese Australians come from? And is where you come from necessarily linked to how you identify?
3: So
2: today we invite two experts to join us. One is Chris Chang, a researcher on Chinese Australian heritage, and Alexandra Lee, a researcher on transnationalism and migration. Hi, good day. Hi, thanks for having
3: me.
1: Thanks for making the time to join us. I guess like the first question that I wanted to ask is just like, as researchers in this space, what do you make of the question? Where are you from?
3: Well, for me, it's really about power dynamics. And I suppose that's why the context that it's asked in matters so much. The classic example of a person of colour being asked this question by an Anglo-Australian really speaks to the whole history of Racism in Australia, the white Australia policy, and the way that in Australia debates about race are kind of really closely enmeshed with those about migration. So I think I'm not the only one that feels that that when I hear that question, it's kind of like someone asking, why aren't you white? Firstly, or maybe how did you come here? Because you obviously, you can't be from here is the underlying message, which is really problematic then on the other hand, you know, sometimes it might be asked in other contexts, perhaps either by other people of colour or in more international contexts, say, while travelling, that it has a totally different set of connotations where maybe everyone in that circle has come from somewhere. So context is kind of everything, I think.
0: When I'm asked in Australia, I feel like um, Chinese Australians, they are foreigners. They cannot be real Australians. What is implied here is that I'm a visitor at best or an intruder and I'm reminded that I don't belong here and that the only people that are supposed to be here are white Australians. So I guess it's that's one side of the question. And on the other hand, it's also a conversation starter about a journey into one's own migration history and that of the migration history of the country, which is Australia.
2: I guess for me, because I'm a foreigner, so when you mentioned the bit about feeling that you got reminded as a foreigner. And that gives you an uncomfortable feeling. I found that really interesting because for me, I'm foreigner. But I think my identity as a foreigner does somehow make me feel comfortable with this question because, as you said, it's a really good conversation starter. And I also want people to know a little bit more about me when I'm here living in Australia because it's a brand new country to me. How would you guys
3: answer the questions since you have these feelings? Alex, would you like to start? Being asked in what I would probably call a racist context is to kind of give my answer and then immediately flip the question and ask them where they're from to kind of try to challenge a bit of what's going on there. Admittedly, I think a lot of the time it kind of goes over the head and doesn't necessarily do much. But the last few years, I've been really struggling with, you know, what would be the ideal way to answer this question? I don't have the ideal way, but that's kind of one option that I have come up with. But as for what I actually say of myself, I'm from Ballarat, which is in regional Victoria. I was born there. I lived in one house until I was five and then another house until I was 18. So it was like pretty solidly settled childhood, which is why it probably annoys me a bit being asked that question. If they're not satisfied with that answer, it's a little bit sticky because you know, if they're trying to get to race or something, I sort of have to say, well, I am technically half Chinese, but I grew up with my white Australian family. So I'm not culturally Chinese. I don't like to explain it that way because it sort of presents almost in a deficit framing. That's not how I see myself. For me, I identify the way I do because it's all about my family and, and they're amazing. And they're not Chinese. So that's why I don't ad- identify as Chinese. But it's a bit awkward because you kind of have to get into a little family history with dynamics and then the person feels quite awkward sometimes for asking that. But, you know, that's on them.
2: Alex, I would like to ask you this question because Ballarat is not just a simple regional town. It's also a town known for the Chinese-Australian history because of the gold rush. And Ballarat has Sovereign hill, which is a famous tourist attraction specifically for those who come from China because they want to learn about the Chinese history in Australia. Since you feel that Ballarat is a really Aussie town, what is it feeling
3: like growing up there? That's an interesting question. Well, to clarify, I should say it is getting more diverse and it's actually surprisingly progressive. In terms of multiculturalism, but also things like queer-friendly sort of initiatives that are popping up around the place, So it's not necessarily what you'd expect when you think of a traditional regional town, but it does have some of the small-town mindset of kind of like who is a local and who's not. The idea that a local is someone whose family has been in the school for like five, six, seven generations and that even if you were born there and lived there your whole life, you're not necessarily going to be a local in the sense that someone whose family is from there would be. Because my mum just moved there before... Um, she had me and my sister, so in Ballarat terms, that's quite recent. Yeah, with the Chinese Australian history, it is really funny because even though I don't actually identify as Chinese culturally, I probably have grown up with more awareness of Chinese Australian history um, than most people who do. As um, you've said, it is one of the gold mining towns from the 1850s, so we learned all about the gold fields in school and. A relatively significant part of that was learning about the Chinese miners who came during the gold rush, and some of the kind of racist policies that were put in place. Although they didn't call it, they didn't you know use the race word in school, but you know it was clear they were discriminatory. In that sense, I guess I do have some connection to Chinese Australian history through my connection to Ballarat. I also, a little bit coincidentally, became part of a Chinese lion dancing team there. know, the lions who perform at Chinese New Year and things like that. So we performed at Sovereign Hill because that was the only Chinese temple in Ballarat every Chinese New Year for several years. So it's a bit hard not to feel some sort of connection to the history there, even though, as I said, I don't really identify as Chinese. And, well, none of my family was actually in Ballarat during the gold rush. Since I've moved to Melbourne, I'm much more comfortable saying that I'm living in Melbourne because I feel like Melbourne is somewhere where I feel more like I belong feels more like my city. I am from Ballarat and it is kind of my city in the sense that I have people who are very important to me who live there and you know places that are familiar but doesn't really represent to me like the city itself or the town rather just because it is you know quite regional and quite white and not necessarily where you would find many PhD students in social sciences looking at race. Yeah that's more of a Melbourne thing.
1: I think it's really interesting to hear how, like, being exposed to something can help you learn a bit more about yourself in terms of, like, who you are, what your identity is, and maybe even, like, a little bit of, like, what your identity, like, isn't, right? You can be exposed to something and be like, that's not actually how I feel. But I guess one thing that I noticed is that, like, all of our connections to China are actually, like, fairly recent in terms of, like, our family were part of that, like, first generation of migrants, So when we get asked stuff like where are you from, it's kind of easy to feel like you're sort of straddling the fence between like, are you from, you know, this place or that. But I'm just thinking that like the history of Chinese migration to Australia goes back a really long time. Right. As we talked about, like Ballarat being a center for Chinese migration ever since the gold rush. So imagine the question must be different for someone if they are now like several generations into that migration journey. But just for a bit of context, I guess I might ask Chris this question, because I know this was something you studied. Can you tell us a bit more about the history of Chinese-Australian migration since the gold rush? Like, where have Chinese people come from?
0: Most of the people that came to Australia during the gold rush were from southern China, Guangdong province, and they were mainly Cantonese speakers. Before that, there were Chinese in Australia, and they were mainly shepherds from Amoy or Hamoy. But the numbers had dropped after the White Australia policy and then it was not until the Colombo Plan um, in the 1950s and 60s that Chinese from Southeast Asia started coming in to Australia to study. These people were originally of Hokkien, Chiu Jiao or Hakka origins and then after the White Australia policy ended in the 1970s, we see Hong Kong and Taiwanese migrants coming with their families in the 80s and 90s. Then after the 1990s, particularly um, the Tiananmen incident, we have um, more students and their families from mainland China um, staying in Australia, coming and staying in Australia. So what started off being a uh, migration from southern China, Guangdong, Fujian, had expanded to cover all of China.
2: You mentioned the white Australia policy and also all these waves of migration from China or from the greater China to Australia. And it makes me wonder this question, because earlier we kind of talk about how the shift or the feeling of our individual identity, and then we kind of talk about the collective as well. Does government policy or migration policy play a role in these sort of switching? I think it also also
0: depends on the orientation of the person as well. The early Chinese who came to Australia, like many of them that came for gold, their plan was to come here to work, become rich, then retire in China. So they didn't consider themselves uh, Australians at the time, but some families stayed on um, during the White Australia policy and they did their best to assimilate and... To do so, many deliberately hid their Chinese identity, throw away photos or uh, any records of being Chinese because of institutional racism. The attitudes started to change in the 1970s with multicultural policies. People who grew up in the 1980s, like Ben Law, who wrote The Family Law, Memoir, that became a um, TV drama, are among the things that helped change people's attitudes. Now there's a greater acceptance for um, multi-ethnic people to be both Chinese and Australian and to celebrate the fact that they can have a foot in both worlds.
1: I guess like the different motivations of like the Chinese community, but also like the Australian mainstream community or whatever, in terms of like, on the one hand, there's the whole like how the Australian government, for example, approaches migration policy and like how welcome they make Chinese Australians feel versus like how Chinese Australians kind of respond to that and identify I might throw this question to Alex. Where do you see yourself in this, if at all?
3: As I've mentioned, I do feel somewhat connected to, like, I guess more so the old Chinese-Australian history, because, you know, being from Ballarat and connected to that history in the gold fields. But it really doesn't seem like it's that connected to, like, young Chinese-Australians or even young Asian-Australians, really. This could just be related to my narrower experience with Ballarat. As I said, I don't identify really as, as culturally Chinese. I identify as mixed race, as Asian Australian and as maybe kind of Chinese at the sort of racial level but generally I'm more comfortable with the label of Asian Australian because I identify with it more at the racialized level of experience in that sense you know it's how other people see me and I do have some common experiences even if I didn't you know have the shared experiences of culture of growing up with migrant parents Chinese parents or something like that also because of my study though like I do still feel quite connected to if not Chinese Australians maybe to Asian Australians and that sort of narrative in Australia and it is interesting Chris you've given a really great overview of sort of the narrative that or the the journey that the label kind of Chinese-Australian has taken throughout history, but also the label of Asian-Australian has taken a kind of interlinked journey. So I guess there's a connection there.
2: Can I ask a question on that? Because I do notice that many young Chinese-Australians, including those who are like in their 20s, early 20s, they prefer identifying themselves as Asian Australians rather than Chinese Australians. From a migration or transnational perspective from your research, why?
3: I guess I'm coming at this more from an academic than personal experience. I think, to me, I see a lot of the kind of globalisation of race talk, which is related to, you know, using Asian Australian to connect with more of this idea of an Asian diaspora or just the idea of diaspora in general the way that the Black Lives Matter movement has been taken up in Australia from the US and sort of all around the world, you can kind of use that to see how Asian American movement around awareness, around diversity and kind of advocacy has sort of some of those ideas have been picked up in the Australian discourse of of Asian Australian. I don't know, in my head, I kind of think it's a bit like Asian-American is like the big brother to Asian-Australian type thing. There's some solidarity there. And I think it's nice to feel connected to what is increasingly like a more global community. Like a lot of this also happens on social media. So again, that's more and, you know, even pop culture is increasingly global as well. So yes, there's people like Ben Law in Australia, but, you know, movies like Crazy Rich Asians come out and that's a thing in Australia as well as the US, as well as the UK. So I would put it down largely to that. But I also think, as I said, because I don't feel specifically culturally Chinese, I don't have that connection. Part of the reason I feel a bit Asian-Australian is because I have, mm. I don't know if it's most, and fairly large number of Asian-Australian friends. And they all you know, are from different backgrounds, first, second generation migrants from different countries, all identify slightly differently. I think people maybe like the kind of freedom that comes with the label. It can be a bit ambiguous, can be a bit problematic, but also, you know, the ambiguity can be quite freeing because it means you're not really locked into identifying yourself in too small of a box. It's a bit broader. You don't, you know, have to totally... I think that, yeah, there's a bit more room to move and I think that's appealing to people.
2: From a historical perspective, is that also because... The Chinese-Australian migration history is really complicated, as in they are just not from China to Australia, but they might go through a few countries before they come to Australia. For example, in our last episode, we have Elvis Tran who identifies himself as Vietnamese Chinese because his parents are from China, but they moved to Vietnam and then they came to Australia.
0: I must think when he- Chinese Australians, they are coming. The journey from China to Australia may not be directly from China to Australia. There's in between points. And some do come through Southeast Asia, like as stepping stones, or some come through Hong Kong or other places. And I think even as early as the gold rush, people weren't coming directly from China to Australia, some went to California. And, um, tried their luck there, then came to Australia. So I think it's always, it hasn't been a direct route and, um, studying that journey where people come from is quite interesting and it makes their sense of uh, identity much more diverse and complicated than just two places. It's a, a much more complicated story. I guess that's why probably the term Asian Australian might be more applicable if they identify with Vietnam and China and also Australia.
1: And I guess it also echoes like a little bit what each of you were saying before about how like is a bit of a journey to find your identity anyway, like not necessarily even just in terms of place, but even in terms of like the people you're around and the kind of conversations that you have and kind of like all of those are really formative parts of that journey as well. I do wonder, and this might be taking a little bit of a step back, but what brought you to studying transnationalism and migration? What kick-started that journey for you?
0: During my undergraduate degree, I was studying in Brisbane. I was doing architecture at the time, and a small group of us, we went to visit Outback Australia to study how Aboriginal people make shelters and um, live in their um, environments. And for the first time in my life, being exposed to a different way of life And the people there, the Aboriginal people, they knew their place in the world and their connection to the land. And that trip was transformative. It got me thinking, oh, where am I from? Or what sort of place do I belong? Because my parents, they were quite recent uh, migrants to Cairns. They came a few years before I was born. So I decided to go back to Hong Kong, I think a year after that trip to Outback Australia. And then going back there by myself, I was fortunate to stay much longer than I expected. I ended staying almost a decade in Hong Kong. I was able to nurture my uh, interest in Chinese society and study anthropology and doing field work with people and learning about their customs and culture. That led me on to eventually coming back to Australia and um, doing my current research, which is on Australian Chinese migrant heritage in China.
1: And I guess you mentioned earlier how kind of going back to Hong Kong and kind of a little bit back and forth changed your identity along the way as well, which I found really interesting. I've got a question for Wing, actually. (laughs) I know, because like you've been in Australia for seven years and you've probably like been back to Macau a couple of times since. Do you feel like you have similar experiences to Chris in terms of like every time you go back, you feel like a little bit more Australian or like you feel more Asian when you're here? What's your relationship with that?
2: Oh, yes. I do feel that I'm completely an Australian. <laughs> My parents do say that, like, oh, your mindset is, becomes really different. So the way you speak is really different. Why you pronounce the A in that way? I said, I don't know. I just pronounce it in that way. <laughs> because at home, we learned the British accent or the US accent. But, yeah, I do feel that, like, when I went back home, visiting Macau or visiting friends in mainland China, I do feel... I became more Australian. But it's also strange that every time when I come back to Australia after these all-China trips, I just feel that, ah, I become more Chinese than last time when I was here. It's a really weird feeling, and I can't describe why I would feel that. It probably is because of the food, probably because I have spoken Chinese with my friends and family throughout the whole break, and when I switched the language, I didn't feel really comfortable in general, it's a really interesting experience to me. And I also want to ask Alex this question. So have you ever been to China? And if you have, what is like the experience for you?
3: So I have been. I was 15 and I went with my mum and my sister. My mum has a relationship with China in her own right. In her own right, yeah. So she's kind of Anglo-Australian. Her family's been here for a few like three or four and so my dad is the Chinese one but as I mentioned he's not part of my family so yeah the three of us went for quite a long time and I guess part of that was sort of about learning about mum's experience we went back to Xi'an where she lived for 18 months teaching English as an additional language and she was I think her connection is quite strong because it was a very important part of her life. And also she was there in 88 and 89. So during Tenement Square. So yeah, that was very significant to her. As for me, I guess it was sort of about learning about my mom, I was learning about, you know, the stories that she always talked about. It wasn't the experience of going back as a Chinese person. It was kind of like, as, as an outsider, as, you know, kind of anyone else except that my family does have a bit of a connection through my mom. And I was talking to my sister about this just before, actually. And she said something that I kind of agree with. It was also kind of like growing up, people would assume that we were Chinese. And then we would sort of have to say like, no, no, we're actually not. Which can be quite hard because these ideas are quite ingrained in in people's minds. They would assume that I would feel Chinese. I must have some affinity with Chinese culture or even speak Chinese. Even after I just said I didn't grow up with my dad. Like, I don't know, do they think that? language is just like a package deal with race or something not quite sure what's going on there so I think it was also partly about just checking that we didn't actually have a connection with it so that way when I told people that I I wasn't Chinese or that I was Australian that I actually had some experience to draw on because before I I mean I thought that I wasn't but it's a bit hard to say for sure if you haven't been you know there was not a feeling of belonging but something like it was sort of nice to go and to feel at least well I look a bit like everyone here not totally we stood out a lot because my sister and I are identical twins and my mum is a short like white Australian with short hair yet we certainly didn't fit in but maybe Meg and I did a little bit more than my mum which was kind of a weird role reversal from Ballarat.
1: I really relate with that because I feel like every time I go back to China as well it's kind of like I certainly don't like look like I don't belong, like I look pretty Chinese. I might not dress pretty Chinese, but like I, you know, look Asian for the most part. But I think it's also like as soon as I open my mouth to talk to people, it's very, very obvious that I am not from here and I feel like a little bit out of place in that way as well. So I guess I feel like my connection to China is also like a little bit tenuous and every time I go, it's a little bit like, oh, it's not like I am super, super Chinese or anything.
0: Is that a pretty normal experience? So it's not totally a familiar place to return. And I guess not everything can be easily digested. Like You might not accept um, people eating dog meat or um, uh, you might feel uncomfortable and people ask you oh, how much money you earn. Going back to China, we're going back into the past, but that's the past of our parents and it might be different to what we kind of expect or it's also very different to our present lives. So there's a feeling of familiarity, but also that because we've been brought up outside China, we also feel at odds and like a stranger in China as well.
1: Yeah, I do feel like China is very much like my parents' like place. That's where they're at home. Definitely see like a big transformation, especially my mum, because she doesn't speak English as fluently as like my dad or like me and my brother as well. So like in Australia, her like way of life is very. I guess, limited by that. Whereas in China, she's like very much like the matriarch and super, super, like just doing everything, which, yeah, it's an interesting transformation. I was going to say, I actually like remember at the start when I was like, I've never been asked, where are you from before? I remembered that like, actually when I was on exchange, um, studying in America at the start of 2020, I feel like that was actually a question I got a lot. But when people asked me that, I would end up just telling them I'm from Australia. In that context, I guess, I would just elide my Chinese ness completely and just kind of tell them what they wanted to know, which was mostly just about my accent instead of how I actually identify, right, which is Chinese-Australian. Given everything we've talked about today, how important is it to you that you answer the question where are you from in a way that relates to your identity? Or how much of it is just about convenience and like giving the other person what they want? How do you navigate how to answer the question?
3: It's really just a choice that I make in the moment. And I think for me, that's honestly not so different to... To identity itself because I think identity is always the way you, you identify yourself can change from context to context as I think we've touched on broadly and I think a lot of the time it's more about being able to choose what you call yourself what you want other people to call you than necessarily the answer you pick so I think I try to see it that I can to the best of my ability direct that interaction to sort of based on the way that I want to connect or not connect with that person. If I don't want to relate to that person, then I'll just give the the quickest answer because, you know, it's my time, it's my day. I don't owe anything to them. I think if it's someone who maybe wants to connect with me because they might feel like maybe we're both from elsewhere, then, you know, maybe that's worth investing a bit more time. Or sometimes if I'm in a mood where I want to challenge things, I want to maybe problematize what's happening, then I might flip the question or I might... You know, ask what are you really asking me but I think really it's just your choice in that moment I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it.
1: Thank you for listening to Chinese-ish, an SBS podcast about young Chinese Australians for young Chinese Australians. This episode is hosted by Wing Kwong and Mark Yin. Our sound designer is Max Gosford, our lead podcast producer is Rachel Sibley, our digital audio and podcast manager is Carolyn Gates and special thanks to Tanya Lee from SBS Chinese.
2: For more about Chinese-ish, follow us on social media or check out our website sbs.com.au slash Chinese-ish. Remember, it's Chinese-ish.